0: Therapist Uncensored brings you decades of experience with interpersonal psychotherapy, relational neuroscience, modern attachment, and anything else they think will be helpful in healing humans. Now, here your co-hosts, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Hey Sue, so glad to be back in the studio. We've been broadcasting multiple interviews, great interviews by the way, but I'm so happy to be here with you in the studio ready to court together.
1: I know. Me too. It's so fun to be able to do this. And it also gives us a chance to specifically reach out to our patrons. We've been so blessed to be supported by some of our listeners who go above and beyond. And we've got some new ones that we want to thank. Our new co-executive producers who are giving at the platinum level include Eileen Peterson, Bobby Blaine, Carrie's Adultman, Jace Cannon-Brooks, Jeffrey Benzik, Pat Spencer, Vicki Phillips, Allison Smith, and Becca Marsh. Thank you all so much for giving at that level. We'll thank some more folks at the end of the show. But we really appreciate these Platinum members. We call them our co-executive producers because
0: it is true. Without you guys, we could not produce this. And think about one thing. You get to give the gift of information that otherwise some people may not get all over the world. And that's what's amazing about doing this is that we get to um, bring the ideas of security, neurobiology, etc., to all sorts of people who might not otherwise get this information. So thank you very much for the support in helping us do that.
1: That's right. And even with our course, because that we are supported by you all, we are able to offer folks that need it scholarship to the course. So we are able to get that course out more widely as well. You can find the course at therapistuncensored.com backslash advanced course dash two, advanced course dash two, advanced course, all one word, advanced course dash two. All of this you can find at therapistuncensored.com. It's about breaking down the sciences of the mind as they relate to everyday life. So have no fear. You are going to be not underwhelmed by this course, but overwhelmed if anything, because it includes over four hours of content and case material and examples and handouts and worksheets and all kinds of stuff so and also by the way all the episodes have show notes and this one as well and you can find those at therapist dot com backslash episodes and then you'll see the whole body of work that we've done and any one of them you click it and then there is going to be a rich page of resources and show notes
0: So one of the things we did a few sessions ago, a few episodes ago, is we started a dialogue about narcissism. And today's episode, we're going to continue that, but we're going to take it from a different perspective. Today, we're going to talk about, upon many patrons' requests, we're going to talk about being in the relationship with a narcissist.
1: Right. So in what episode was it? I believe it was 105. So 105, we dove into what causes narcissism. We kind of got a little challenged because we were really doing it from an empathic standpoint and really talking about it as a relational injury and a wound, and that this is what it looks like. And we did that on purpose. And I'm really glad we put it out that way, but it is important that we come back around to the other side of it and really talk about the more extreme versions of narcissism and what it's like to be in a relationship with one, not to have it, but to be in a relationship with one. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today.
0: Right. And we referenced, we're going to talk about malignant narcissism. What makes it malignant is that it can be very, very powerfully influential to the person who's connected to the narcissist. So most people know what we mean by narcissism, but let's talk about what we mean first when we say malignant narcissism. It's an inflated sense of self-importance, but so inflated that somebody protects their defenses by carrying an air of superiority
1: or unsuperiority, (laughs) right? So there's the grandiose narcissism where that we have to basically protect our sense of self by looking better and being better and you know having a grandiose presentation and then there's the one that is a depressed narcissism which is where that we collapse on ourselves and we feel like we are the worst person in the world but both of them stem from this desire to be loved and cared for not believing it's going to happen and then all the generations that happen around it to protect ourselves so that's the outline of it.
0: If we stick with the grandiose just for a minute, sure. and we give some outlines on that, mm-hmm. some of the superiority comes in. That it, what you mentioned, the sense of vulnerability inside gets hidden by a constant seek for admiration. And I think that can be one of the most difficult things about being, and we'll, we'll talk a great deal about this, but that's a, one of the most difficult things about being involved in a narcissist is that constant need for self-reflection, for the reflection of the greatness of oneself.
1: Right. So as you're talking about this need for adoration, let's just sort of describe a little bit about what it's like, like when you're in the receiving end of that. Basically, it's important to know, you know, we project our relationality into it. So if sometimes, you know, if you're both relational, and somebody does a jerk thing, (laughs) then we kind of think, Oh, you know, I do that too, sometimes when I'm upset. But when you're dealing with an actual narcissist, those rules don't apply, you're both in relationship with that person. Right, It's actually a one-directional relationship. It is not a mutual, reciprocal relationship. Yeah,
0: that's the key element. It's that individual's need for admiration and need to pull the energy, positive energy, to themselves and block the negative energy. It leads to the inability to accept any kind of critique or criticism because that just brittles the narcissist up because their ego is too fragile to be able to accept that they may have faults.
1: Yeah, that's another sign. So if you're looking for signs, one of the signs is that it's very difficult to have influence. It was basically narcissistic love is always conditional, right? It's never back and forth. It's going to be one-sided and except for like maybe some scripted gestures like, Well, I said, I'm sorry, you know, or something that really isn't about apology. It's about moving it along and let's get out of this uncomfortable place. And as a matter of fact, when you're with someone, and again, it depends on their degree of narcissism. But boy, it can be really, really dangerous to challenge someone. And you're going to end up feeling like you could lose the relationship if you say what you know if your eyes see what they see, and if you keep your sense of yourself, that is going to be threatening to this relationship because the relationship is so conditional. It's conditional based on the person that has the issue, the narcissism, has to feel protected and adored and loved and the
0: most important one. And that could be really scary. What you're saying is so important because that threat can turn to rage quite easily. And or, or
1: cut off, or, or cut cold. off,
0: and that the threat of cut off can be so so powerful. Especially one of the allures of being involved with a narcissist is the feeling of being we spoke about this last time being in the light, feeling bigger than anything with them, and the charisma and being cut off when you're used to that, especially in the beginning, can be very threatening to have that. You know, when we get angry at each other. It's not uncommon to walk away or to disconnect or like, oh, I'm sick of this. How that differs with a narcissist is it's often almost a conscious threat. I'm going to leave you.
1: Whether that's implied or not.
0: Right. You feel the threat of the relationship, not just that you're not going to get to be able to talk to the person for the next 45 minutes. It's like you feel the threat of the relationship leaving. And that can be very, very controlling.
1: And you know, you're talking about allure and why are we drawn to these things? If you think about it in the popular press, uh, there's romance, all the romance novels, a lot of some of the Hollywood stuff. And I have to say, 75% of people that are actually diagnosed with narcissism are men. So, we're not trying to make a gender issue of this. It's just we're, we're the messenger. So that's an important part. But What you can imagine is if you're reading these fantasy books with these really strong, handsome, charming lead characters, that one of the ways it looks is that they pick you and then they go after you full steam. It's so
0: complimentary. And it's
1: so complimentary and it feels so, so good. But you're not aware that there's more of a possessive tone to it. And this is one of those things that when the dog catches the cart, doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when you get caught, like if you're like, oh, this person is so adoring. Okay, I'm in. That That's often when you can feel that it's more about an objectification.
0: That's such a good way to say it. And once you're in, one of the allures that's related to that. Is a narcissist really believes themselves to be bigger than life, and we can get caught in that web. And as we all do in the beginning of an idealized love, we have kind of an idealized self. So it's easy to be attracted to a narcissist because, especially if we have underlying insecurities, because There's this relief from our insecure self because often a narcissist is, by the way, one sign is they're going to help you be your best self. The beginning of a relationship often feels that way. So you might notice right off that it feels like a gesture of kindness. We're going to help you do these wonderful things. Pretty quickly that turns to criticism because the narcissist is actually trying to help you meet an ideal standard for themselves. So it can be easy to get caught in because you believe in your idealized self for that brief period of time, but then you can get caught in a web of criticism and trying to meet that ideal self. Right, where
1: that you actually have to surrender yourself. Very good point. And it's important that you surrender yourself because there can't be two people that exist at the same time. And this dynamic, this isn't just beating up on narcissism. It's kind of such a popular term and it gets thrown away around so easily But there is something on the other side of it about who's attracted to narcissistic relationships. And you're talking about a wound on our part, let's just say. Again, we all have narcissism, and it's healthy to have some narcissism. But, you know, when it's malignant, it does have to be another half where that you are willing to put yourself aside. It's like your own injury has like a narcissistic shape inside of it. (laughs) You know what I mean? So... Which is exactly the same thing where that you will be fulfilled if this person's quote saves you.
0: Yeah, it's quite vulnerable to feel that way, yes, right? It's quite right. vulnerable to feel now my full self is about to be actualized. And if you think about having insecurities and feel like you've never met your full potential to meet somebody who makes you feel like just now we're going to meet your full potential it's very easy to get caught in that.
1: Right. And we're not aware that we have this vacuum inside of us that's wanting to be filled up that then that makes us more vulnerable to these narcissistic relationships.
0: Right. And one of the signs of that may be a high level of indecisiveness or a relief in being around somebody who on one level seems really decisive and fun, but also ends up being very controlling. There can be a relief to being around that determined controlling personality, because then you can kind of let go and follow the leader, if you will.
1: Right. And you know that in that early charming phase where there's the seduction There's also this, often, this idea of possessiveness and some jealousy that, again, early on feels really good because it's like, I'm loved so much. They love me so much. I can't think of the number of people who have committed murder that said, it wasn't that I didn't love her. I loved her too much. Right. And that's such a twist. And this is exactly what happens. You, your mind can get twisted up. But this possessiveness and this jealousy really can then turn into you having to slowly, like very even quietly and slowly begin to give up things. Oh, that person makes this person jealous. I'm going to not do that. So that way, you know, we'll be fulfilled. And then it's something else. And then it's something else. And I can guarantee you every one of those freedoms that you give up it is going to be really hard to get it back because to get that freedom back, like a friend who makes them upset, they oh, okay, I won't see the friend. Well, later, if you want to see the friend, you're going to create what is going to be seen as a betrayal of the relationship. Why are you doing that now? No no no. all of those things, and that's, again, a sign where your world begins to get a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller, and you are beginning to have to orbit the other person instead of it being a mutual orbit.
0: And one of the signs is you start limiting your exposure. And one of the signs is as you try to speak about it, and we all can get insecure and get jealous. And even we've spoken about this a little bit with blue or dismissing personality.
1: That's right, which is the one associated with narcissism.
0: Yes. and, And yet it's so important to distinguish it from narcissism, because you can be blue, definitely and not narcissistic. And one of the ways to tell the difference is that somebody that's living dismissing and feels possessive, maybe and wants to cut off won't necessarily get rageful or see it as you're doing something to them, where a narcissist can run the risk of your actions are actually creating distress and doing something. You're doing something to them.
1: And then we might be likely to placate them right, to get the peace again. But again, that's when we're giving up a little bit of freedom. And what it's doing is it's teaching us to ignore our own mind and ignore our perceptions in order to stay connected. That's where it begins to get Dangerous,
0: And I think esteem, if we don't talk about esteem, I think one of the dynamics about being involved with narcissists is that, that keep somebody at a high esteem. We end up placating us all sorts of ways that we don't even really recognize. And that way we cannot bring ourselves and say what we're having a hard time with because you can see the brittleness. If you stop to think about it and you try to bring to somebody a reasonable complaint, and they cannot tolerate hearing a criticism because it knocks their esteem down, you may be tempted to give that up, right? You may be tempted to assuage them by keeping, no, 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 I wasn't saying that, you know, and and holding their esteem, but it's very, very important to recognize you're doing that.
1: I love that because there's this whole, you know, in order to, it's the placation and all that stuff, but if you notice what Ann's saying is that, uh, and what we're supposed to be able to do is come with a complaint. But what will happen with something like this is that that complaint will get turned against you. And it would, might sound something like, how can you think that about me? Or they might exaggerate what you're saying and then get hurt. There's all kinds of moves to make to keep you in this position of supporting them. And basically, so if you notice, if you're trying to talk about something, and it's always your fault, and they're, you know, it gets flipped around. It's always your fault. It always ends up being your fault. I imagine there's listeners right now nodding. They know what I mean. They know what we're talking about, Ann, Um, because it it's like this twist comes in your mind. And this is where gaslighting comes in.
0: That's a great term because a lot of people hear gaslighting and they don't really understand what it is so gaslighting comes in is you know something as your reality and you come and you complain about it but your partner or somebody you love turns it around as your issue and it makes you feel like you don't understand reality
1: yeah and that's really powerful if you have a history of trauma And also, this isn't just romantic relationships. Um, I can't tell you how many people that I've sort of coached through a best friend or a friendship, that as they begin to do therapy and they begin to grow, the relationship begins to get more and more tense. And a lot of times those relationships don't last. And there's a friend breakup as the person begins to gain their sense of self and not just mirror. This word mirror is an important part of it, because what you're ending up doing is you're mirroring for the other person what they need to see about themselves, And those of us that have been raised by narcissistic parents are going to be more likely to do that and not notice it. And we're going to be really good at it. And it's going to be very easy to do because we already know how to set our needs aside, read what the other person wants, and then give it to them. So I really want you to think about this, about friendships, even about work relationships, and then, of course, romantic partnerships. So Anne, I think we've kind of spelled out some of what the hazards are, but what do we do about it?
0: one of the ways to understand gaslighting is that your reality does not get matched. Now let's be cautious when we fight, right? We've talked about like somebody being in the red and turning things around and being critical and it's really hard, but that is very different than a constant, Place in a relationship when you bring something to somebody to their partner and they can never accept it and then turn it around on you. Gaslighting comes from the expression. I think it's the old Hitchcock movie, wasn't it?
1: I don't know if it's Hitchcock, but yeah, it was an old movie where that someone a a husband was intentionally messing with his wife's mind. Yes, where the lights
0: were going down. That's what I'm remembering going up, and she's going, "Did y'all see that? Did y'all see that?" And they go, "No, no," and yet it really is happening. And when we're speaking about malignant. Malignant narcissists actually can be quite consciously manipulative and intentionally trying to maintain control by denying one's reality, which is different than just being defensive. Because we can all get defensive, and sometimes in either blue or red, we can be overly defensive, and that's hard to break it down. But when slowed down, when the threat is taken away, we have more ability to go, okay, I see your point, or I do see what you're saying. Where a malignant narcissist has gotten so rigid that that, they really literally don't have the capability of doing that. And it's so threatening that their rage and hostility comes up, which creates a threat to the other person to accept, okay, you're right, I didn't see that. Or you're right, I didn't see the three texts from some woman. That was just my mind. I'm being jealous. And you're tending to say, I'm so ridiculous. You're right. I'm insecure. And for a while, you're walking around trying to fix your insecurity in the relationship. The other person is so confident you're insecure. That's something to look at.
1: Again, you can imagine if you have a history of trauma where that this has already been done to you, even if it wasn't a narcissistic parent, if let's say, for example, in the example of sexual abuse, where something's happening, but it's not acknowledged or it's denied, but you know, you feel terrible around this person now. But to say that makes you crazy or like all of that very, you know, it's the mind, I don't know, I can't remember what the, I want to say mind fuck, but <laughs> it's the mind, it's when your mind is really literally consciously and intently messed with, yes. fucked with, confused, scrambled. You know, there's this term, you know, I can't believe my lying eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like what part of that is true? And our message, part of the what to do about it is to begin to get yourself back.
0: Right, talk to people talk to yourself and go, wait, your feelings and your experience are very valid. Don't let anybody completely annihilate your feelings. So if somebody keeps going, that didn't happen, say, look, I hear you saying that, but let me tell you, this is my reality. It's called having limits and boundaries where what is your reality remains your reality. And a really important part of that is not relying on changing the narcissist reality. Because if you stay and you keep trying to help them understand their reality is off a it is emotionally exhausting and then will be met by rage and it won't work so it's super important to stay in your own reality and say this is my reality and hold tight
1: yeah i love that because remember part of the setup to get in a very very close relationship to get drawn into a very close relationship with someone who with narcissism is our own wounding so rather than, like you're saying, and rather than pointing out and pointing out and trying to convince them of something, it's like, let's let that go and really begin to feel our own pain, our own disconnection from ourself, that if the problem with the narcissist is that they need to be loved so much that they will do almost anything so that they don't feel their own insecurity, then our job would be to do exactly the thing that's missing, which is to begin to have self-love and self-care and self-compassion and really listen to ourselves, is the same thing we're wanting them to do. But we just start with ourselves. And one of the things about this, here's an interesting thing: How do you know if you're a narcissist? <laughs> There's one question, actually, that in at least some literature, it says you can boil it down to one particular question.
0: Yes, and it's 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 a it's a Likert scale out of one to seven. Out of one to seven. How likely is it that you are a narcissist?
1: And then in parentheses, a narcissist is described as something like a petty, small mind, you know, it, it, it has a few adjectives. Selfish is one of the words. So I'm asking you that question, listener, before we tell you the answer. The question is, how, on a scale of one to seven, are you a narcissist? And narcissist meaning small-minded, selfish. I can't remember. Need for admiration. At, yeah, need for, maybe that's the other one. It was just a few little descriptors. So one to seven, one meaning not at all, and seven meaning for sure. I'm just letting you have that in your mind. One to seven. What is it for you? And the what this research says
0: is that by that many narcissists that's that question they will say yes to and it equates to like a to all sorts of measures of narcissism now the, the, what is different if if you a narcissist Wait, when you say, say
1: yes to what do you when
0: mean? you are answer that high that you are highly likely to be a narcissist many narcissists will recognize that and say yes they will not however agree to have a diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder right
1: they don't want to be seen by the world as narcissistic but when they're asked in that very direct way you know, are you manipulative? Are you self-aggrandizing? What have you? They're like, they won't have any problem saying, absolutely, yeah, I'm, I'm a seven on this scale or a six on this scale, And that we should believe them one of the messages here is we should believe them if that's how
0: they see themselves and one of the reasons we believe that they that somebody can feel comfortable is that is because honestly they hold themselves as more superior and as above others so it's easier to say yes because they really believe they are so they feel like they're saying yes i'm a narcissist because really other people are often stupid (laughs) idiots yeah they believe other people are idiots or Right, right yeah
1: so that's 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 how it kind of looks from that angle. But it it will help. So if you're in the relationship with a narcissist, again, what to do is one, the only thing that's going to help this because really, you're in a relationship with one, it's a relationship of one. So you're both relating to one person, they're relating to themselves, and you're relating to them. And so the challenge is going to be, can we have two people enter this relationship, which would mean things like what Anne's been talking about, about when you bring feedback that they are able to go, oh, I don't know, or I didn't know, or apologize. They're able to have the humility and be able to swallow their pride and come to
0: you and do a good actual apology. Although the chances that they are able to do a deep and good apology may be an indication that they're not very far on the continuum of narcissism.
1: Yeah. Right. It, because if, mm-hmm. a
0: narcissist really, really cannot take the threat. Now they will maybe do a gesture the next day and give you flowers, etc. But being able to own the, I'm sorry, I agree with you. I see what you're saying is, is that the more that somebody can really for themselves work on that, or the person involved with the narcissist really began to see that that's missing.
1: Yeah. So kind of what we're saying basically is that unless the person that has the affliction of narcissism is willing to see it and work on it, then pretty much what you see is what you get. And are you getting enough in this relationship with your friend or with this love relationship? If you, you might be getting enough. Maybe their narcissism is higher than yours, and maybe you can learn from them and, and have a little bit more of a sense of self. But the idea that if I love them enough, they're going to change is never going to work. And the higher they are on the narcissism scale, you gave me a thought about another example. These people aren't jerks, necessarily. They don't necessarily come across that way. They come across as very big in the world and smart, and you're, you have a feeling of you're lucky to be around them. But here's another example. So you're on a date with them, and then they make you dinner. But but what you hear about is how they flew the fish in from where, wherever, wherever. Where, where. And it's so fresh, and oh, that they worked over two days to make this incredible sauce. So it becomes about them. Right. And, and how cool and how special this dish is, rather than an actual gesture to you in relationship. So that's just another sign of it. I
0: love that sign because what you're saying is that somebody could be doing that because they're a chef and they want you to hear the specialness of it. But the different feeling in that, and you could feel it as Sue was talking about it, is that it is about their need for you to admire what they did, not rather than to making sure that you genuinely feel the specialness.
1: Right. And for (laughs) you to feel lucky. And that's where the conditionality comes in. That if, for example, if you're not happy enough with the meal, there could be a problem. Or if you forget that they've made you that meal, there could be a problem. So just think of it that it's conditional and what we want to begin to work on. And again, let's keep moving to what to do.
0: Right. So in that sense, it's a good one. Just in general, the biggest advice that we can give is holding oneself and building oneself. Whether it's early in the relationship with a narcissist and you start recognizing it and you start to decide how far along is it? How deep is it? Can you be in a positive relationship with this person? Or is it malignant and it's really tearing you apart? But one of the ways is the holding their own self. And so, in that what you don't want to do like we mentioned earlier following the criticisms that the idea is to be able to hear people's feedback, but is it critical? Is it condescending? Is it putting you down and making you feel shamed versus feeling constructive and trying to build the relationship? And if you feel it in the former, you feel like the criticism is about belittling you, one of the things you need to do is boundary that off and cut it off. For example, maybe you're getting a lot of feedback about how you look and your clothes or your weight, and it's making you feel ashamed and embarrassed. That is something you can say, guess what? You don't get to give me that feedback anymore. That door's closed. That's just an example of being able to boundary something off and saying, I'm not going to follow those criticisms. Like if they started saying, but you didn't do this, you didn't do this. When you brought something, you get to say, I hear those are important to you, but we're going to come back to where I initially started. And it can be emotionally, even as you're listening, you can hear how emotionally exhausting it can be. So one way to hold your value is to recognize the emotional exhaustion and actually take care of yourself in that.
1: It's about decoupling the perceptions part of how we lose ourselves and lose our perception is because they get intimately tied with the other person. That's part of the mirroring and that's where it becomes dysfunctional. So if we can begin to decouple it, or there again, there's two people now in this relationship and he or she can have their own reality. That's okay. But you get to have yours too. And they're equal and they're both valued. And then, then you can both curiously explore them. Then you're in good shape. But some of what we're beginning to lead to is unless this person if they're harmful, if the, if you're taking, if it's taking a toll on your sense of self, and on your growth, then it's be time to really begin to look at the relationship. You know, are they giving you enough? And it is, if it's an abusive relationship, then we're going to ask you to really consider leaving. Because this is not somebody usually, because it's a conditional relationship. It only goes one direction. So if they're not willing to look at their own part and really begin to get in there and dig in and see themselves as having uh, an issue with this, then don't think that you can hang in long enough for them to change or that you can change them or you can heal them.
0: Or that if you could just change their perspective of you, then they would then see the value. I think that's a really important point because you may hang in thinking, well, if they understood about A, B, and C, they wouldn't think these critical thoughts. And so the belief that you can improve yourself so that their critical thoughts go away, that actually isn't um, a good way to approach it.
1: It makes me think too, like so friends will start telling you, I don't like how they treat you. And if you find yourself defending the person who is abusing you, well, they're just very sensitive about that or um, I know it looks like, you know what I mean, where if you begin to create a case where that you're shutting out people who are safe to you, that's a sign that you really want to look at. It's very, very
0: important. Um, So talking to your friends also about the conflict so that you can get that feedback back. And listen, if you have multiple friends coming to you and say, one of the signs that you might that your friends may see that you may not um, do your friends give you the feedback that when y'all are together, that all the attention generally is drawn to your partner and not you? Do you end up finding yourself in the shadow of their experience? Does your your this person take credit for helping you get there? These are these signs that sometimes friends see that you don't. And when you speak to friends, they might identify that for you.
1: And we can't talk about malignant narcissism without at least mentioning what's happening in our national political system that we, and I will absolutely say it, we have a malignant narcissist as a president that is actually
0: what? The interesting thing is, remember our first test on that? He actually identifies. He self-identifies as a narcissist. So we get to say that because he actually has identified himself as a narcissist.
1: Right. And and all of the generations to not see what you see and not say it does have to do with this whole, like, don't believe yourself. And if you notice, that's where the gaslighting, like, this didn't happen or all these accusations of other people lying and manipulating reality when actually we know if we get really calm and still that the lies and the manipulation are coming from a single source it's not everyone else is doing it to his detriment and we just have to name that because it's one of those things that's it's not spoken of very freely on the air and things like that, especially by mental health clinicians. But I think that's part of the problem, and we just need to name it, and then what do we do about it?
0: Right, and that is not a Republican-Democrat issue.
1: absolutely not.
0: I think that's what's so difficult in this situation. But other signs that you would see is some of the aggressive bullying and mocking. Those are signs of you can see the aggressiveness and Actually, the use of threat, where there's a subtle, that's a really good example of the excessive threat that could happen.
1: And also the thin skin nature, where oh. there's there's not a capacity to take feedback or to take responsibility. Anything that, in his perspective, would make him look smaller, including his physicality. I mean, he was right. just talking the other day about there was orange lights, that's why he looked orange. I mean, it was just... It's mind-boggling,
0: or the yes, or the 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 belief that we are the greatest. I'm the greatest. The, this exactly. the greatest country. The greatest this, and you know, and what's difficult about that is it is an injury. It's hard to look at that because we're using this as an example because there's some really obvious examples, but there is a deep injury there that is pertinent throughout.
1: That's right. We we all want to be loved. This is an important part. We mentioned that I think in the last one, but as we kind of turn towards the end of this segment that one of the things narcissists will do, well, they'll connect themselves to someone that they feel is more powerful than them. And then they will mirror that person. It's basically an idealization. So one of the things I think that's happening nationally is that folks that are connecting, right? That like, if this person is in charge of the greatest and I'm in the greatest country and I'm, you know, we are great, let's make ourselves great. Even that language it's a that's like one of those signs where that either we're idealizing someone, and that if we're connected to them, we go up with them, or we devalue someone and we get away from them because we don't want to be, you know, pulled down into the muck of whatever we're seeing that person as. Mm. So any of that black white, when you see a really strong good leader or a good partner, there's a lot in the middle. They're they're able to be humble. They're able to have humility and self-reflection, and take responsibility. And that's what we're looking for in our leaders and our people close to us.
0: In being in, I think, in relation with one another. We need to be in relation to other countries, in relation right. to other partnerships. Right. So when we lose... Mutuality. The, and I think one point before, and I know we need to wrap up, but one point that we forgot to tap on, I guess we've touched on it, but I want to go slightly deeper. We talked about the allure of the charismatic narcissism, but there's a very important part of narcissism And that is the allure of the release of our shadow self. And that is one of the things narcissists can do for all of us. We all carry insecurities. We all carry certain things that hold us back in our norm of who we are. And one of the things a narcissist can do, since they don't abide generally by the norm, because they're better than, they they can release us from our belief that we need to follow the norm. So maybe if we've been to subservient, maybe we've been in a place where we are too held by our beliefs of good and bad and maybe lose part of ourselves. Sometimes there's a release in somebody going, we're not going to be controlled by that. We're going to live. We're going to throw that out. And it can be a release. It's a freedom to go, oh my God, you're right. We don't have to be contained by these norms. We can be released of that. And it frees us up to not feel shame or bad about our negative selves. And while we need to do that at on some small level, it can be a real detriment to ourselves as individuals. We can do things that we wouldn't otherwise do if we weren't connected to this narcissist. And I do think as we're talking about our leader, that sometimes we can fall into that.
1: Yeah, I really like what you're saying. And it goes back to what we're saying bef- early in the session, but also where we want to end, which is part of what to do about it. And this is why I think I was sensitive about starting with just talking about narcissism, because it's very easy to point at the other and say that's bad over there. But, you know, that whole thing, when we're pointing out there, there's three fingers pointing back to us. (laughs) So this is where we're going to end, which is this episode is designed to help you have a clear mind and clear thoughts about what's happening. But absolutely, we've got to go back to ourselves. We can't control what someone else does or how someone else is, and we can't change them and we can't fix them. But what we can do is begin to be reflective and curious about ourselves. Both sides, the person with narcissism and the person that doesn't have it, we all are made of the same stuff. We all want to be loved. And so let's start by loving ourselves enough to begin to hear our mind, hear our intuition, hear our heart, begin to act self-protectively towards ourselves. And then see what happens. See if there's room in this relationship for two people, not just one. And that's all we can do. It's not going to be, we don't want to end this pointing, pointing, pointing. We want to end this in this very grounded, self-reflective place about why am I drawn to someone like this? Why is it taking me so long to see it? Why is it taking me so long to act on it? That's going to put you right in the middle of what Anne's referring to, about what this relationship might be serving to help us not see some of our own wounds. And to do that in a very
0: self-compassionate way it is really important because we can all be drawn to a narcissist, depending on our histories, depending on even our circumstances. It could be a moment... Or even
1: just the power of the narcissist. I mean... For sure. Well, and, and that's, it's, it's, it's
0: intoxicating. I love that you said that. It is intoxicating. It can be intoxicating for all of us. It's not just intoxicating for these rare few. It's like it can be intoxicating. You can get in and not even realize it. And one of the things to know is to break off a relationship with a narcissist, even if you can identify how difficult and hard it is on you. Don't mistake the fact that you can feel a literal feeling of withdrawal and have it very powerful. The chemical withdrawal from a narcissist from any relationship is different, difficult, but from a narcissist, it can be super powerful. And we can talk more about this. We've mentioned that we're, we're, there's so much to talk about in this topic, but to remember that that withdrawal is very, very difficult and you need self-compassion. And by the way, honestly, we talked about the continuum And there is malignant narcissism, but there's all sorts of a continuum for narcissism. And one of the things that a narcissist needs is self-compassion and compassion from other people. They draw out rage, but they actually, they don't need their esteem built. They need compassion. Kristen Neff talks a lot about that and that there is a small child. And we talked about that in the other one, inside a narcissist but there is one inside you too. And self-compassion and care is where to start in keeping your own value system intact.
1: One quick uh, image too, that I think that we've mentioned before, but when you're talking about the intoxication, I think of a lighthouse. And it's like when the light is shining on you, you just, it is, that's the intoxication. It feels so... So good to have the esteem of this person that is above you shining their light on you. But boy, when that light goes away, it is dark, dark, dark. And that's, again, that's one of those signs that you're in this uneven relationship. So remember that a relationship with a narcissist is conditional. So the solution is going to be to unconditionally listen to yourself and love yourself and compassionately hear yourself. But that, that unconditional love start with you, you and you. And, you know, take yourself out to the woodhouse and have a talking to (laughs) with love and compassion, but also with clarity and directness and boundaries. And then you'll kind of see a little bit more about what you need to do next. There's not a one size fits all here.
0: No. And getting some support in that is very, very important. And if you're not sure, right, you probably are sure if you are working or you're involved with somebody that falls on the malignant end, but you may be involved with somebody That, or maybe you are somebody that's not all the way over there and want help. And it is true that if you fall way far on the malignant end, it is very, very difficult to change, partly because it's hard to find the desire to change. But there is a lot of continuum. And sometimes the fear of the loss of a relationship can motivate somebody into treatment, both sides. And so getting into therapy, especially if you're in a romantic relationship, but getting into therapy and really talking about this is something we highly recommend.
1: That's exactly right. And I'll tell you some people that are, I would imagine, aren't very high on the narcissism level, which are these folks that are for free supporting our show. We're going to mention a few more of them that we didn't mention at the beginning. So we want to thank our patrons and we want to remind everybody that if you appreciate this kind of content being shared free and widely with the world, please go to your whatever podcast player that you're listening on. Go ahead and rate us and review us. That really helps get the word out. And it also helps us attract really good guests. We are so proud of our five-star rating on iTunes. And it's not a norm necessarily to have something like that after you've been around for a little while. So we strive to make this content you know, really awesome. And we really want to hear back from you. Last thing is a reminder about the course. Anybody interested in going in this more deeply, if you'll go to therapistuncensored.com backslash advancedcourse two. Uh, it's also on Teachable. You can probably search us. Uh, it's not me, it's my magdilla on Teachable, teachable.com. You can find it that way as well.
0: And while you're there, you can also feel free to drop any kind of note to us about other topics you'd love to see us cover.
1: Okay, we have a few
0: more patrons
1: to thank that have joined us recently. And we've got some gold neuro nerds. They include Leona Ramona, Nathaniel Udi, Virginia Ginsburg, Olivia Hart, Amy Love, Gail Ken, Katerina E. B, that's a friend of ours now from Sweden. Sarah Du, CN Erickson, Victoria, okay, let me try this last name. Dimitra Koppilis. Oh, that's probably terrible. But thank you, Victoria. Really appreciate it. Virginia Ginsburg, Lavita D'Souza, and Laura Long. Thank you, each of you so much. We really appreciate it. There's two more very quickly, Rebecca McCabe and Mike Linthicum. All of these folks are contributing to us being able to produce the show and continue to get it out so that everybody can hear about this really cool relational science information as a way that can be applied to your real life. That way there's no barrier to entry and this is going to get out far and wide. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: All right, Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you around the bin. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.